Welcome to Clear Eyes, Full Hearts, a podcast presentation of Cadence 13 in association with Black Barrel Media and Ritual Productions. This is an episode-by-episode look at the award-winning TV show Friday Night Lights created by Peter Berg. I'm Stacey Orstano. I played Mindy Collette Riggins. And I'm Derek Phillips, and I play Billy Riggins. The assumption is, of course, that you, our listeners, have already watched the show. But if you haven't already, go watch Friday Night Lights, which is currently streaming on Netflix and Peacock TV, because there will be spoilers in our episode. And still, you guys, go check out the merch. That's right. Go check that out. Check out our merchandise. You can go to our website designed by Eleanor Perez, who is at Eleanor Perez on Instagram. Our website is cleareyesfullheartspod.com. Once again, that's cleareyesfullheartspod.com. And we want to answer your questions. Email us anything you want to know at cleareyesfullheartspod at gmail.com today. We're talking about season two, episode 11, Jumping the Gun, written by Patrick Massett and directed by Daniel Atias. The synopsis from NBC TV reads, Smash faces pressure from colleges looking for a verbal commitment and his heart is set on one. Meanwhile, the Panthers prepare for the biggest game of the season. There's plenty to unpack in this episode, but before we get into the highlights, we're going to answer a few fan questions. Our first question comes from Corley Twidwell. That almost sounds like a fake name. Oh, God, that's a good name. Corley Twidwell. I love that. Okay. <laughs> Corley Twidwell is asking, if there was a spinoff of FNL, what would it be? And I know you already have this answer, Stacey. I have my answer. And actually, one time, Derek and I were on a plane to Austin, and I did a little Q&A for the ATX Festival with the creator of a TV show called Friends. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. I think I've heard of that show. I pitched her my spinoff, which is this. It's a multicam sitcom and it's Riggins, all capitalized exclamation point. And it's Derek and I, and we live in a tiny apartment in New York City and we have 10 children and Landry lives next door to us. And she said, yes, sign me up. And then she avoided us for the rest of the festival. She has not <laughs> talked to me since, but it's Riggins. I do always like the idea of whenever I was doing theater and, and still to this day, when you're doing any kind of project, somewhere about midway through the process, you start deconstructing it and imagining what this show would be if it was a comedy. If you're doing a drama, you automatically go, well, what would this be if it was a comedy? And if you're doing a comedy, of course, you're going, well, what would mm -hmm. this be if it was a drama? I always thought it'd be funny if the Riggins brothers were like a traveling band, although they have no talent. Yeah. Tim and I were like in a traveling band a duo, like Partridge Family-esque. Can you at least let our children be a part of your band? All of our many, sure, many babies? Not? Yeah, yes, of course. Okay, good. But yeah, I mean, just you would always think of like the deconstruction of the show. Just funny moments. Like I remember every single time we were about to shoot a scene on the show after the murder happened, Taylor would lean over to me right before we were about to shoot a scene and go, hey man, you know that laundry guy? And I go, yeah. And he goes, you killed a dude. And rolling and action. And that's literally how we started pretty much every scene for like the last three seasons of the show. Meanwhile, we'll move on to the second question, Stay. Oh, oh, well, here we go. It comes from Ghost Tour Courtney. Chris, you're killing it with the names today. And Courtney, I have questions. I need to know about these ghost tours. She asks, accents on many shows or plays get muddled. FNL seems an exception to the rule. I know many folks were Texans, but not all. Was there an onset dialect coach or were cast members responsible for mastering it on their own? Second question, who struggled the most? Third, <laughs> did anyone stay in accent during filming? <laughs> Nobody stayed in accent while they were filming. This term gets such a bogus name, but like the term method acting now mm. has this 
connotation that you stay in character the whole entire time. That's not what method acting originally was. I'm not going to get into the specifics of it. But yeah, I mean, we didn't have anyone who was like, please refer to me as... Oh, God, no. Coach Taylor <laughs> for the duration of this. No. Nobody did that. In between takes, we were laughing, giggling. Most of the time during takes, we were trying to make each other laugh. So no, there was none of that stuff going on. And frankly, the only person who was a series regular that was from Texas was Jesse Plemons. Mm -hmm. All the rest of them are from all over the country. I don't know that anyone necessarily struggled, but I know that there were Come certain on. words. He's admitted it. Well, there were certain words that Taylor Kitsch literally would just tell the writers, don't put them in there. Or if they were in there, he would take them out. Like, about. A boot. A yeah. boot. A boot. Because he just like, he's like, I can't say a boot. I mean, his Canadian accent is thick. His accent got way better, though. From season one to season five, his accent got so, so good. I started Mindy out really, really heavy and really Texan, and I very purposefully started to draw her back from season five. So it's actually the opposite for me. I just wanted Mindy when I got to do more with the character. I needed her to be more grounded, so I pulled it back a little bit. I mean, I'm from Texas, but I don't, I'm not like from Texas. Yeah. But like, Kyle and Connie are from the South. Yeah, Kyle's from Georgia. And Kyle's just doing Kyle. That's how Kyle sounds. Kyle has a Southern draw. Kyle Chandler does. Yeah. He put a little bit on for coach, but like a lot of people did. But like Zach's from Chicago. His was all just his training and good things like that. But yeah, no dialect coach. It was on us. And we would listen to each other and play off of each other with it. I do remember specifically, and I think I've talked about this before. I'm from Miami originally. And I lived in Texas. And I think I've got a decent ear for it accent. I think you do. But I remember when... We had started the fourth season, and in my first day on the fourth season, Michael Waxman was directing this episode. My call time was like 10 o'clock in the morning, and I'm in my hotel room, and I get a phone call at 9 o'clock, and they were like, hey, we're moving. If you don't mind coming to set now, we're going to try and get you in and out. And I was like, great. So I showed up to set, ran through hair and makeup, got in wardrobe. I was on set by like 9.30 in the morning, and Waxman's like, hey, we're going to shoot this scene. Let's go. And I sat down in the chair. I did the take with Kyle. We got one take and Waxman goes, all right, moving on. And I go, whoa, 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 time out. I go, hey, man, we've been on hiatus for the past four months. I haven't played Billy in four months. And yeah. I know that my accent right now, like, like this is the first time I've talked as Billy in four months. And it was more like, hey, man, how you doing? It was like a really bad George Bush impersonation. <laughs> and I was like, what are you doing there? You know, and I got through the scene. And I was like, I got to do that again because I, yeah. I need to, I, I, I need to live in him for a minute. Yeah. Let me live with Billy for a minute, basically. <laughs> and then we did like a second or a third take. And I think we were good at that point. But yeah, I mean, it, it was one of these things where I kind of had to hear it. Plus, I'm actually in New York right now. Stacy lives in Connecticut and Stacy and I went to dinner last night. And we did. just being in the city, it automatically kind of makes me have like a little bit more of like a New York. Oh, you twang. guys, he says a little it, bit. Know. It's like full on order and like, is his lasagna last night. Like, yeah, yeah, let me get some uh, lasagna. <laughs> like, what do you mean, what do you, mean you don't got lasagna? Come here, come here. Yeah, don't even ask him about his story about the AirPods, guys. It's a whole thing. <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, I think it does help being in that environment. And it always felt like to me, like after a week of being in Texas, I was like, oh yeah, I'm back. I, yeah, I know where I am. it sits in you. And there was one simple thing that I always used to do back in the day. Like if I put a dip in, mm. like I don't chew tobacco anymore, but... <sighs> 
if I put a dip, like some tobacco in my mouth, all of a sudden it just kind of pushes your your mouth this way. Mm-hmm. And so you start to just start talking like that. And then once you get rid of it, it kind of just sticks with you. So you've got like this little bit of thing. So it gets a little twangy. When I do Jersey, I have to pretend like I have my long nails on and then it's back. That's all <laughs> I have to do. Sometimes it's one word. Sometimes like mm-hmm. it's like you just say one word. Or like my Irish is over the top of the phrase and down and then I'm there. <laughs> We're so dumb. We're so yeah. active right now. Okay, next question. Really stupid. All right, our final question comes from Brandon Holiday, who says, I know season two ended early due to the writer's strike. Do you have any idea how the season was supposed to end or do you have any speculation? Yeah, I actually heard from all of the head writers that everybody died. Come on. No, I know absolutely nothing. Why would nothing. you say that? We do know in season three that they don't win state in season two. And I know that they were going to have plans to show them not winning state in season two. I don't know a lot of the other storylines. I don't either. And we have a guest coming up later that we asked the same thing to and he didn't know either. So I don't really think any of us really knew. One thing I can tell you, and I know that this was a big debate in the writer's room, was where to start season three because of the writer's strike. Mm. Because that writer's strike happened, it was like, okay, do we pick up where we were? And then we basically have six episodes and then go to state. And then what happens? You know what I mean? So if we're going to do like a 13 episode season, do we start episode three where we left off? Or do we just flash forward? Or do we start season three where basically the season is over and it's not even a football season? So it would be like springtime. And they were like, well, that's not going to work. It's still Friday Night Lights. You still got to have football as the backdrop. So yeah, I mean, I I know that all those debates were going on in the writer's room, but I think what it finally came down to was just kind of like a clean slate. Okay, yeah, let's go back to what worked in season one. Let's go back to the storylines that we were trying to tell before this. I mean, it's not a complete and total clean slate of season two. Right, it still happened, but we're going to go back to like family and heart in this town of Dylan and what we did. So Brandon, to answer your question, we have no idea what was supposed to happen in season two and nobody will ever know. That's not true. We could totally ask Adam someday. The one thing I do know is that season two was supposed to end with them losing state. They were definitely going to lose state. That was already in the plans. But yeah. All right, guys. Thank you for those questions. Please keep them coming. Stacey and I love answering them. And stick around because we're going to jump into the rewatch portion of our show. Julie to do right by Tim Riggins, and I need her to do it right now. Also, my Shelly job questions from last episode have been answered, but Julie, step up. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not a big fan of Julie Taylor right now. Nope. I haven't been a fan of Julie Taylor most of this second season, but this one specifically is like we talked before about me chewing tobacco. Mm -hmm. All right. So I was in college. My dad had a pickup truck and I borrowed my dad's pickup truck one time. And I used to chew tobacco, guys. It's disgusting. It's not a good habit. But anyway, I was driving down the road and I spilled some tobacco spit on the front seat of my dad's truck. Mm -hmm. I tried to clean it up, but I couldn't get it out. And so I remember telling my dad that my friend Robbie Bruce had borrowed the pickup truck. Derek. (laughs) That Robbie was driving us back from a bar one night and that Robbie had gotten tobacco spit on the front seat of the car. I was not a good person. So anyway. You're also not a good liar. No. And my dad's like, why was Robbie driving my truck? And I'm like, well, we were coming back from the bar and I'd been drinking. And so I was trying to be responsible and Robbie drove. And my dad's like, uh-huh. yeah. And so Robbie found out about this like two or three years later. <laughs> and then Robbie called my father and was like, Mr. Phillips, hi, how are you? This is Robbie Bruce. I just wanted you to know, sir, that when you had that, <laughs> I wouldn't think my dad had that truck anymore. He's like, when you had that Ford F-150, I was not the one who was driving your truck that night. 
your son is the one who got tobacco spit on your car. And my dad's like, Robbie, I never believed a word he said. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's kind of that same thing. And I'm sitting here going, what are you doing, Julie? I mean, Tim didn't do anything wrong. And the kid's got nowhere to live because he's got a terrible older brother. She needs to fess up and she needs to fess she up right fess now. Up fast. Don't you think there's a possibility that your dad would have been like, oh man, I spilled something there. That stinks. And it never would have been an issue if you hadn't said anything. No, because my dad literally the day after was like, what the hell's all over the front seat of my car? Okay. And I was like, dad, Robbie Bruce, he's, Robbie. he's a bad kid. Lord, Robbie, <laughs> he's the worst. Also question. Hello, Billy, Billy Riggins. Yes. Do you just not make house payments? Do me a favor, Stacy. <laughs> Don't worry about my financial situation here while we're on this podcast. I'm worried about right? Tim Riggins having a place over his head. I think we're going to find out a little bit later what's going on with Billy. But as of right now, we just know that there's basically an eviction notice that's been put on the house. And yeah, not good. Not, not good. good. Not looking good Give for the Riggins kids. It a break. Mama Smash is always right. Mm. I mean, was she right when she accused Coach Taylor of giving Smash steroids in the first season? No. The only character on this show who is beyond reproach <laughs> oh, is Billy Riggins. Yeah. He's a beacon of sure. morality. He's the North Star of Dillon, Texas. Uh-huh. Who just doesn't favor his house and takes his brother's girlfriend. As I told you before, don't get caught up in my financial situation, Stacy. Mm-hmm. Stay out of my finances. Yeah, no, I'm joking, of course. Billy Riggins is a jackass. Mama Smash is right. And specifically in this case, Smash needs to pump the brakes on his whole recruiting stuff, focus on school, and focus on what needs to be his future which may or may not be football. It can't be forever. That's just a given. That's the thing. I'm going to spit some hard truths here. I need you guys to know that I'm saying this to Julie Taylor and not to Amy Teagarden. There's a reason I feel this strongly about it. It's because Amy is so good at her job. Julie, you are a coward. She is a full-on coward, and she needs to fess up and tell her dad the truth. I know we talked about this at the beginning, but she's doing it again. I'm completely over it, and I'm going to call her a coward to her face. Well, as a person who used to lie to his father, I don't appreciate that, Stacy. It's cowardly. Yeah, it is cowardly, but I don't appreciate being called out on it. Mm-hmm. And I don't appreciate you calling Julie Taylor out on it, even mm-hmm. though I do think she needs to fess up. You wouldn't call her a coward, though? It's pretty harsh, but yes. It's the harshest. Let me say this. I don't think she's a coward, but I think right now what she's doing is coward. Oh my God, that was such a politician answer. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> I'm going to say maybe through all five seasons, the truest line ever spoken on Friday Night Lights comes from Coach to his wife, Tammy, when he says, your hair is perfect because it is. I was with Connie Britton last weekend and I can tell you guys, it's still perfect and it still smells like strawberries and unicorns and I love it so much. They both have perfect hair and frankly, I'm a little tired of it. They really do both have such good air. I mean, do you know what it's like? Let me show you real quick, Stacey. Unfortunately, our audience can't see this, but I'm going to take my hat well, off right now. Here we go, guys. I'm wearing a baseball cap. Mm-hmm. And this is what it looks like, Stacey, when I take yeah, my hat the off. Yeah, the under the hat here isn't coach-esque. It's gross. It's like laying down. It's spotty. There's patches of like bald spots. It's, it's like, what's going on up there? When Kyle Chandler takes his hat off, it goes... And it just yes, flows. It's in magic. It looks like he spent six hours styling it when he takes his hat off. It's like, how is that possible? When the truth is, he just hasn't showered. But yeah, I would say the most perfect line ever spoken on FNL. When the truest. Very true. They both have gorgeous air. Although, I will say this, it used to drive Connie nuts, but I'd walk into the makeup trailer when she was getting her hair done. And you know, they've got one side of the hair basically in rollers and everything and blah, 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 blah. And I walked in one day and I go, oh, Connie, your hair looks lovely. And she goes, oh, thank you. And I was like, I'm kidding. 
because it's obviously in hair rollers and everything. That's when Connie and I's relationship Mm -hmm. started to deteriorate. That's when the shift happened because you don't talk about our hair. From that point on, Connie and I have always had this very like joking, mean, but joking relationship. Yeah, joking. But they pick on each other. Oh, yeah. It's fun. It's real fun. Okay, back to the rewatch. (laughs) Neighbor lady, because I... Refuse to learn her name. Her name is Jackie. Okay, whatever. It's like in one ear, not the other. This jealousy between you and Jackie needs to stop. Jackie was a a flash in the pan years ago. It didn't mean Uh anything. Okay, so neighbor lady is just out here. And I'm going to give her credit spouting some truth. She says you two need each other. And I think we can all agree Tim and Billy need each other. Yes, Jackie's right. Thanks, neighbor lady. Jackie. I know Brooke Langton, but I cannot say that name. Is it because, I'm honestly, is it because not Stacy, mm-hmm. but Mindy is jealous of Jackie? Do you want me to be honest? It's honestly yes. because I can't remember her name. <laughs> it's not said a lot. No, it's not. It's not. I'll give you that. I really honestly can't remember it. So that's just me. Can you remember it now? Yeah. Her name is Joycelyn. Okay. Next. Coach's delivery here isn't great, but it's right in that I think it's time for Shelly to find her own place. Spread those wings. I'm in total agreement with you. This is one of those scenes that's so relatable because you can be justified and right. And then the delivery is just like... It negates everything you just said when you do that too. It's the story of my life. True. I am constantly right, almost always right, but my delivery is terrible. Yeah, I'm going to give you that. Because I will yell it. I'll scream it. The self-knowing part of Derek saying that. I like it. I scream mm-hmm. when I'm right. I yell, and then immediately I have to apologize for being right. I am much more quiet. I'm not a yeller. I am actually... And seldom I'm, right. I, I'm very Often not right. very wrong. I am very, I am very, very wrong <laughs> most of the time. But at least I'm quiet about it. Yeah, that's good. You're quietly wrong about everything. <laughs> well, as I'm Fuck. emphatically loud and right. It's funny because it's true. Obnoxious and right. Oh, okay. Kyle. Yes. Snacking up a storm in the scene. I think he had a mouthful of sandwich the entire time he did this scene. And it made Mark very happy. Him in the locker room with Noel. Trying to learn Noel and Smash. I did that. Yeah. At least I am her. Is it because I didn't date Noel? Yeah, probably. Billy didn't date Noel, so yeah. I also, I love him putting these two kids in their place. I find them to be sitting there a little like pious and pretending to be adults in kids' clothing. I don't like it. And at the end of the day, I do think that Noel means well. I didn't mean to rhyme there. Yeah. Noel means well, but she's a bit of a busybody. And like a know-it-all. Like, well, my my brother did this, so I know all about it. No, No, you don't. Yes. It's insane that you think you do. You yeah. are a child. You're right. And I yelled a little bit. Guys, I'm you learning did. from Derek. It's right. Huh? Feels good, doesn't it? Doesn't it's it feel good to bad. scream? You're... Okay. I don't hate it. I mean, I don't hate Noelle. No. And I do think at the end of the day, she is trying to help Smash. But as you said, these are kids and they're caught up in this game of recruiting. And this isn't a game. This is potentially this kid's whole entire life. And I just don't know that the two of them are technically focusing on what is right for Smash. They're focusing on what they think is right for him football-wise. But I don't think they've given a lot of thought to it. As Coach says, you know, you go to Alabama, you're going to find out that they've got a stud running back who's a senior. They also got a kid who's a freshman who rushed for 500 yards last year. That means you go and play at Alabama, there's a very good chance you're not going to see the field for three years. No, he's and he knows bench. Smash well enough to know that three years of riding the pine for Smash riding the pine. ain't going to happen. Smash needs to be out there playing football. Yeah, I like riding the pine. I was very familiar with it in high school. 
I'm not proud of it. But anyway, I want to talk about this little scene here with Connie and Kyle where they discuss Coach basically telling Shelly that she should start looking for her own place because Coach knows he could have handled it better. As we've already discussed, I relate really well to that previous scene. <laughs> but this one as well, and this is what this show does so well his coach knows he could have handled it better. But as you said earlier, Stacey, he isn't wrong. And you can literally see coach swallowing his pride here in this moment with Tammy. And he's biting his tongue when she says in the future, please don't talk to my family. I will talk to my family. And he's going, because mm-hmm. he knows he handled it wrong. Here's another moment where it's like in that first scene, I go, I relate to that because that's what I always do, <laughs> even when I'm right. And in this second scene, I go, man, I wish I had a little bit of coach. Because I would go, well, you know, your sister was blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And coach is sitting here biting his tongue, even though he's probably right. And Tammy's right, too. Like, he doesn't have the right to tell her sister that. Like, she should be the one to tell her sister to hit the bricks. Scene is so damn relatable. And there's so much going on behind Kyle's eyes. Really simple, really accurate scene of what it means to be in a relationship. And it's just really well played by both Connie and Kyle. Coach is really the king of, like, pick and choose your battles. Yeah. He knows when to just not say anything. I think so much of that comes from Kyle being in a loving, working Mm -hmm. marriage. Yes. You know what I mean? I think what is so relatable about him is the fact that, I mean, I would imagine he's had some of these arguments. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just really well-played scene. You two, these Riggins boys in their jeans and their plaid shirts, drinking beers on the stools. It's almost like everything is right and normal back at the Riggins' house. It's really weird to watch these scenes, I'm going to be honest with you, because as an actor, your objective is to try and justify your character's action. So for all these years, I've always kind of defended Billy Riggins because I was playing Billy Riggins and I had to find reasons why Billy did what he did. It's really interesting to have the separation from it now and be 15 years away from it and watch the scene. And I mean, frankly, I don't have a whole heck of a lot of recollection about this scene and to watch it and go, I don't like this Billy Riggins guy. He's a jackass. And what he did to his brother is not right. So it's weird to to come at it from that standpoint. So yeah, I mean, I guess in reality, things are probably okay. Tim's pretty forgiving. Yes. It seems like Tim has kind of let Billy off the hook, but Derek Phillips sure as hell hasn't. That's a testament to you though, as an actor, you can be like, oh, I don't like that guy. I also don't like his hair in this scene. <laughs> I didn't notice his hair, but I'm going to give like, you that. I was like, what the hell's going on with that guy? Well, you don't notice his hair because that's what my hair looks like. But then I'm watching it going, is that what my hair looks like? I hate that. I just loved the jeans and plaid shirts. It just it made me really happy. How come I can't have Kyle hair? I want Kyle hair. Jeez. Well, we all want things we can't have. I want you to remember Jackie's name. You don't remember Jackie's name. I don't even know who you're talking about right now. Oh, my gosh. Julie, Julie, Julie. She did yes. it. That's the girl I know. That's the Julie Taylor I love. I am so thankful that they gave us this respite. I'm right there with you because I'm going to be honest with you. At the start of this episode, my least favorite person on this show mm-hmm. was Julie Taylor. And now it's Billy Riggins. And now it's Billy Riggins. Yes. <laughs> now my least favorite person in this show is Billy Riggins. Can't stand that guy. I don't like his hair. Mm-hmm. I don't like his stupid plaid shirts. Mm-hmm. I don't like his dumb face. Oh, is that it? Is that, oh, I thought maybe there would be more. No, there, there was something else I was going to say. <laughs> There's something I also noticed in this episode that I had like pretty full stubble at the start of the episode. And then it was shaved short towards the end. And I don't know why that happened. Maybe we were trying to show that Billy was really a wreck at the beginning. Yeah, because he just went through a breakup. Yeah. With Joycelyn. Jackie. Mm-hmm, sure. Her name is Jackie. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. So that's that breakup five o'clock shot. Maybe. Yeah. I kind of like it. Is Riggins a senior? Has it been established? Because I'm finding it strange that nobody else is getting scouted but Smash. It has not been established on the show officially at this point in time, but we do find out in season three that Riggins would have been a junior in this season. So technically at this point on the show, Riggins is a junior because he doesn't wind up graduating until season three. Maybe he just got held back. It's possible. I mean, they never talk about it, but it's but definitely But really, possible. Smash is the only one getting recruited out of the school. Yeah. I, I mean, but I'm going to be honest with you, Stace. Like, even top-notch football programs, baseball programs, like, there may only wind up being three or four kids on a whole entire team that wind up going and playing college ball, even on state championship football teams. Yeah. I mean, that's not always the case. I mean, there are sometimes where, because they won a state championship, there's going to be 15 kids that get recruited. Yeah. But there may only be three or four of them that actually see legit playing time at the collegiate level. It is extremely competitive. And the reality is, Tim in season three, he's going to get some recruitment letters. He gets like a partial ride somewhere, I believe, but it's not at like a top-notch school. And as we've talked about, like TMU is like a top-notch division one football program. And Tim's not getting those kind of offers. He's a good football player. But not elite. And Smash is elite. Smash is like potential professional football player, which is next level. There's a difference between being recruited by colleges. There's 130 Division I football teams. Only maybe 60 of those are top notch. And then there's a ton of Division II, Division III football schools as well that you can get a partial ride to, but you're not going to be going to the pros from those schools. That just means you get a partial scholarship and you get to play football in college. And that's more along the lines of where Tim is. Tim is a good high school Mm -hmm. football player. Very good high school football player. Smash is elite. Elite. I think it wouldn't hit me except for the fact that we have Larrabee there and Chip is also... Oh, no, it wasn't Chip. It was their QB1 is getting scouted too. So I'm like, everybody's scouted. You're scouted. It is scouted. No, Chip is their quarterback that's getting scouted. Is he the QB1? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Chip. Jackie, Jocelyn, there's, there's a lot of names. There's a lot of names. It's a really weird new narrative device that they're using here in this game where we get to hear the opposing coach. We hear his thoughts. We hear his arguments. We hear what he wants his team to do. It works. It was just very new. And I had to kind of flip my brain a little bit to be like, oh, we're doing what? Okay. No, I hear you. I hear you. I just think it's a really great job by the writers to create a, a foil for Coach Taylor in this episode. And I know that week in and week out, the writers were trying to come up with different ways to tell the football stories. Yeah. Because, I mean, how many different ways can you tell the story of, okay, this team won or this team lost? That's true. Sometimes you got mud bowls. Sometimes, so they were constantly coming up with different ways to tell these stories. And I think this episode in particular was to just kind of set him up as a plot device to basically show the difference between Coach Taylor and other coaches. Yeah, it really works. Yeah, I thought it was a really cool episode because of that. And we'll get to see a little bit later on why Coach Dickens has this hard edge to him, why the guy's such a, you know, for lack of a better term, jerk. He's a jerk. Well done by Patrick Massett. Yeah, who wrote this? Well done, Patrick. I wrote down, like at the end of the game, I I really think this Larrabee coach could use some therapy and then went, oh, oh no, oh, okay, actually for real. Now I understand. He definitely really does need therapy, but also, oh, that's heavy. And for our audience out there that's not like huge football fans, there are times when you're watching a movie or a TV show and you'll see something, you'll be like, that's crazy. Like no one would ever <laughs> do something like that. And like when you watch this episode and you see the coach kind of lose it and run out of the football field and tackle a kid. Yeah. Like there's that part of you goes, that's 
friggin' nuts. Nobody would ever do something like that. Here's the deal, guys. It may seem crazy, but stuff like this does happen in real life. In fact, it happened to a very famous football coach back in the day. In 1978, College Football Hall of Fame coach Woody Hayes, who was from Ohio State, punched a Clemson player on their sideline after an interception in the final minutes of the game. It immediately ended Woody Hayes' like legendary 28-year career as a football coach. And unfortunately for Woody Hayes, it kind of left a stain on his reputation that, frankly, will never go away. These moments in television and film where art imitates life or when you see these things that are like bigger than life. That's one of the things I love about this show is that they're willing to go to those places because stuff like this does happen. It's insane. It's nuts. It doesn't happen on a regular basis. No. But it does happen. To me, this was such a smack in the face lesson of a motto that I love, which is you never know what somebody else is going through. And now mm-hmm. that story that you just told, I like desperately want to know what was Woody Hayes going through at that time. It had to be something more than just mad at that play. You know what I mean? I mean, look, it was the final minutes of a game that they were about to lose. Woody Hayes at the time, if I'm not mistaken, was 65 years old. And I think his job was on the line. His career was on the line. Like he had this storied career, but it was like the twilight of his career. It wasn't the best season at Ohio State that year. And I think he knew that his job was essentially on the line. And you have all that pressure on the weight of these guys. And I think it can cause you to kind of snap. And I think that's what happened. He snapped. He had a, a momentary lapse of judgment and mm-hmm. just lost. And when you watch it, it's a 65-year-old man hitting a, a 20-year-old kid. I literally, in prepping for this episode, like rewatched it last night. And you got, yeah, it makes you go, I don't know what was going through his mind at the time. I just think it's an important lesson right now in the crazy, like our sort of hopefully post-pandemic world and being social again, that just like a little bit of grace is always nice and that you never know what somebody else is going through. Yeah, yeah. Let's lead. Let's lead with grace, guys. Welcome yeah. to my grace podcast. Really well said, Stace, because I think all of us are kind of, you know, it's been a crazy couple of years and I feel like all of us are kind of close to blowing our tops. I know I am a lot yeah, of I mean, times, you see you know? all the videos, like people on airplanes and stuff right now. And it's like, guys, just like a little bit of grace while we figure out yeah. how to be social beings again in the world. And don't pick fights with Mike Tyson either. Like that's my other no, rule. That's not a good idea. That's my second rule. Billy Riggins seems very, I would say nonchalant about being in the presence of meth. I don't know how often Billy's probably been around meth. I don't think a ton. <laughs> I would but I hope think, not. I, I think Billy's probably been around drug use quite a bit. Yeah. That's kind of how I looked at it. I don't remember playing it as like him being nonchalant about it, especially when like when Tim knocks over the gun and they find that cash. It's like, we got to get the hell out of here. Like, I don't like this. I think he's trying to be strong in that moment when he's like seeing the meth on the table. It's also really kind of unfortunate because I remember when we shot the scene, I said specifically, I don't want to see the inside of the house until we get inside the house. Like I want to shoot it. Oh, right, right, right. And so that was me literally reacting to the meth being on the table. And I was like, oh God, like you don't see my expression on my face, but what I was playing as an actor, if I remember correctly, was like this not wanting to admit that it's my fault that my brother is in this situation. This is such a more in-depth, interesting choice that I'm hearing now from you. It's like, I have to play it calm because I messed up so bad and I need to get out of here. If I remember correctly, I remember like looking around the place and the camera's not following me at this point. It's following Tim Mm -hmm. upstairs. But while I was down there, we did have a camera on me. That stuff gets cut. But I remember like looking around and what was going through Billy's mind as I was playing it was, this is my fault. This is my fault that my brother is in this situation that my brother was living with this yeah. meth dealer. And I think it's also a lesson for Billy that like, I can't ever like allow that to happen again. Well, <laughs> it's going to happen again. Let's see what 
happens. Here's my moral quandary. Is stealing money from a man that we know to be very bad better than just stealing money? It's not good. Not great. Because the repercussions, while one may be illegal and one, I mean, they're both illegal, I guess, but like <laughs> the repercussions for one may be going to jail and the other one could be death. You know, something about this tells me that it's not going to end well for the Riggins boys. I don't have a great feeling about yeah. it, but you guys do need money really quickly. So I don't know why you just didn't come to Mindy and ask Mindy for some tip money. I would help you out. Actually, I, I definitely would not have. I don't know what I'm talking about. Okay. I love this like moment of redemption for Tim Riggins, who I have grown to absolutely love. My heart has been needing this. I've wanted it for a long time. And then just also like so well done between Kyle and Taylor. Yeah, I thought it was a great scene. I was in that scene too. I noticed you didn't talk about how great I was in it. I mean, it's like... Fine. I could tell in your eyes that you were just thinking about Jackie. So like, whatever. That's how well I know you're acting. (laughs) (laughs) That was actually a great scene between the two of them. Yeah. At the end of the last episode, the two of us were both like, can we have some levity for these two? Can they, for for Landry and for Tim. Landry's not in this episode. But can we have something good happen for these kids? And while this isn't necessarily something good, at least he's off the hook for coach thinking that he did something wrong and coach apologizes. That was big too. Like you could have just been like, hey, she told me the truth, but then he apologized for it. That's that coach Taylor, like truth bomb. God, I love that man. He does a lot of apologizing in this episode. Oh, that's true. He's on an apology tour. Question, we're talking about D1 schools. The other schools that Smash is getting offers from, I know those schools and we're talking like Roll Tide and all those things. I am sort of assuming that TMU is like essentially UT without being UT. Am I Here's the thing crazy? too. If you notice, they never actually say University of Alabama. They mm-hmm. say, oh, I got an offer from Alabama. You can say I got an offer from Alabama. That doesn't, That's true. You could be talking about Alabama Southern, Alabama oh, so really, State. I'm just Al- honestly assuming everything. Yes. I mean, well, it's, me. they did that early on in the show too, where it's like they had a character from Miami and like the mm-hmm. big school in Miami is University of Miami. Everyone knows that. And in Texas, the big school is University of Texas. Yeah. It's definitely 100% for legal reasons. I would not say that TMU is UT, mm-hmm. but I would say that TMU is the big-time Texas football school on Friday Night Lights. Okay. So you can take that to mean whatever you want it to. In the world of FNL, I think it's safe to say that, yes, TMU is the football school in Texas. I think it's also safe to say that the recruiter for TMU is actually the former University of Texas men's basketball coach, Rick Barnes, who is currently the head basketball coach at the University of Tennessee. Wait, like the guy who played him? Is yeah. that guy? The guy who plays the recruiter was actually the men's basketball coach at the University of Texas. I love that our show slips little things in like that yeah. all the time. I didn't but know yes, that. For legal reasons, I don't think mm-hmm. you can say that TMU is quote unquote okay. UT. In my heart. Let's just say it's the big football school Esk. in Texas. It's UT-esque. Yes. Here we have another FNL daddy-daughter moment that tugs at my heart chains. The two of them, <laughs> she could be in so much trouble. But there is that thing too, where it's like, you know what? You fessed up and you told me the truth. There's a little bit of respect placed on that. It is one of those things too, when like, oh man, I remember screwing up in high school and just thinking, oh, my parents are going to ground me. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. I'm thinking about all the consequences of my actions and what the penalty was going to be. And I know it sounds cheesy, but the worst thing that they could say was, I'm disappointed in you. Yeah, I'm not mad. You know? I'm disappointed. Oh, God, Ugh, my God. Punch to the gut. It's kind of reminiscent of one of those scenes. And then to top off my already tugged 
heartstrings. We get this mommy son moment to throw me over the edge. I don't know if I've ever mentioned it on this podcast. I probably haven't, but I love Liz Michael so much. I think you've mentioned it once or oh, twice. Oh God, I love her. Yeah, she's great in this scene. She's great in this whole episode. There's a great scene with her and Tammy early on in the episode while she's kind of getting hounded by like recruiters. And there's a great scene with her and Tammy. But I mean, every time Liz Michael is on this show, she crushes it. And this is just one of those moments too, where you're getting to see Smash's dreams come to reality. The fact that he gets an offer from TMU, which I don't think we'd established before, but I think TMU was the school he wanted to go to. Yes, especially because it seems like it puts him the closest to home too. And it's a great school. As a kid growing up in Florida, I mean, the ultimate would have been to go play football at the University of Miami for me. Obviously, that did not happen. (laughs) You know, when you're a kid and you have those dreams, you want to get all these offers from all these schools. But the reality is, like, to play football at the University of Miami would have been the end-all, be-all. And it's kind of the same thing here with Smash. It's like TMU, as we said, is the big dog. It's the Texas football school in the world of Friday Night Lights. And so Smash getting to go play football at the Texas football school is a huge accomplishment. And that moment where it's like all this hard work, all the hard work that Karina's had to put in, taking care of these kids as a single mom, it's like paying off in this moment. Thank God, I needed another episode where it ends and it's like, everything's kind of okay right now, thank you. Yeah, for now. Don't worry, it's all gonna fall apart later. Of course it's going to again, but like I can go. (laughs) (sighs) Okay, that's what I'm gonna leave you on for this episode, guys, it's this. We can breathe easy after the end of episode 11. So yeah, that is it, guys. We are done with episode 11, but please stick around because episode 12 is coming up next week and we've got special guest, director extraordinaire, Michael Waxman. So until then, clear eyes. Full hearts. Cheers. Clear Eyes, Full Hearts is a podcast presentation of Cadence 13 in association with Black Barrel Media and Ritual Productions. Executive producers are Stacey Oristano and Derek Phillips, Chris and Mandy Wimmer for Black Barrel Media, and Steve Walters for Ritual Productions. Our producer is Miranda Parham. Send your questions to clearEyesFullHeartsPod at gmail.com. Find us on social media. I'm Stacey Oristano on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm at Derek Phillips on Twitter and underscore Derek Phillips on Instagram. And check out our websites, ClearEyesFullHeartsPod.com, Cadence13.com, and BlackBarrelMedia.com. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you next week.